Investing has been one of the biggest financial stories of the pandemic. There was the stock market crash in March 2020, then a huge rebound. We've all heard about meme stocks and cryptocurrencies. So what does it mean for Gen Z and millennials? Today's episode is about what it's been like to invest during the pandemic. Welcome to Stress Test, a Global Mail podcast where we look at how the rules of personal finance have changed in the pandemic for Gen Z and millennials. I'm Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist at the Globe and Mail. And I'm Roma Lutsu, personal finance editor at the Globe. Rob, it's our last episode of season three. Yes, who'd have imagined when we started this three seasons done in the pandemic? None of us have actually clapped eyes on each other for a second during this, other than on Zoom and Squadcast and all these other cool podcasting apps we've done. What do you think of how it's worked out for the past uh, three seasons? I think uh, this has truly been a pandemic podcast. Um, I am not even sure that I could have ever envisioned any of this. So to say that I could have envisioned a pandemic would be a stretch. To say that I could have envisioned a pandemic podcast is an even bigger stretch. But, um, you know, I think that we've done incredible work. And I think it's been actually a, a very exciting time to be talking about money and some real changes for us to report on and talk about as journalists and financial journalists. I've been covering personal finance for well over 20 years, and this past year has been by far the most dramatic, the most incredible, the most surprising period. And I include the 0809 financial crisis in that, which previous to this, I thought was the biggest show I'd ever seen, but that was wrong. The pandemic and what it's done to money has just been a mind-blowing experience. Absolutely. And I, I think the biggest thing for me, and I know for you as well, is hearing from our listeners, um, getting feedback them letting us know that they want to hear about this or that they like this element of what we talked about. And that's been one of the most rewarding parts about our podcast. And I really want to thank everyone that's reached out to us. It means a lot. And this podcast would not be possible without you. So investing, let's talk a little bit about what has undoubtedly been, as you've said, one of the biggest stories of the pandemic, this influx of young adults who have found their way into the stock market. Now, you and I have known for years when we go and we do our financial literacy type presentations at colleges and university, that there has always been an interest, a high degree of interest about investing. I think the change that has happened during the pandemic has been them actually entering, starting to trade, and this has really taken off. So you've been writing about this for very many years. Put this in perspective for us. I have always uh, seen investing as something primarily that um, boomers and retirees do. And a lot of young people were very interested in it and thought about it, but didn't really do it that much. After the 2008-09 financial crisis, the narrative about millennial investors was that they got scared by the market crash and they became super conservative and they basically sort of got out of stocks. And I was amazed in March, April, May 2020 to see all these young people diving in. And I think it's great. I think it has really broadened and democratized investing in a way I don't think we could have even imagined 24 months ago. So Rob, what was it about this pandemic that led so many people to jump into investing? Part of it was great instincts. I mean, when the market's down, you're supposed to get in and the the historic investing experts all through the ages have said, buy low, buy when there's pain. And people did that and it was exactly the right thing to do. But another aspect was new technology. You can now trade from your phone via uh, no-cost trading apps. 
There's also online brokerages that you can use on your laptop, on your desktop, or on your phone. I think technology has made it possible to trade anywhere. Another factor is um, people were at home during the pandemic. They were bored. They're looking for drama, and the stock market had plenty of drama. It was like this combination of forces that created this phenomenon. I don't think we'd ever see the likes of it again, but I'm really hoping that the investing habit will stick among young people. I mean, one thing that strikes me is that people that were homeowners had all this extra cash. They did a lot of things around their house. Young people that were not going to concerts and bars or restaurants or doing all that stuff, they've taken this money and put it into investing. And I think it's such an interesting time to have gotten involved. And I say kudos to them. They've really taken steps in this direction. I'm, I'm curious to see what will happen in the coming months and years. So with all this in mind, we did our usual call out to our listeners to get a sense of their investment stories and how they reacted to all the ups and downs during the pandemic. We actually got a lot of responses showing so many experiences, including some that we weren't expecting. Yeah, one of them caught my attention, a 15-year-old investor who wrote to us wanting to share his story. It's not every day that we hear back from someone who's 15. So we got in touch with him and two other listeners to hear what they had to say about investing in general, but investing during the pandemic specifically. You'll hear more about that next. William is one of the listeners who wrote back to us. The subject line definitely stood out from the sea of emails we got. It read, I am a young investor and I have read your article. Imagine my surprise when I opened the email and it said he was 15 and he'd be investing for at least two years. The team all agreed we had to get him on this episode. Okay, William, I'm looking at the clock and it's about 9 a.m. and most kids your age are in school. What's the story here? Well, uh, I emailed in because I saw an article on young investors and I decided that I wanted to be on this podcast because I thought that'd be really cool. So I uh, I emailed in and my mom excused me from school this morning. You told me in an email um, that you are 15 and you're a veteran investor. And of course, that really got my attention because I know people who are 25 and 35 and 45 who haven't got the message about investing in stocks. How did you get started at such a young age being interested in the stock market? I was driving with my Auntie Ray and I asked her what a stock was and she, she explained it to me and I was, I was kind of taken by that because I thought that was super cool that I could own like a tiny piece of a company and make money off of that. You can't really invest on your own because you're 15 and the investment industry wants you to be of the age of majority. That means 18 or 19. So how are you getting around that? Well, it took me about a year of research because I started when I was 12. I started researching brokerages and like stocks to buy. And so as soon as I convinced my mom that uh, I wouldn't lose all my money, uh, she signed up for an account. And we did about six months where I would tell her everything about every trade I was going to make. And uh, eventually I gained her trust and she allowed me to start making trades on my own. What's the weirdest place you've ever made a stock trade using your phone? Oh, probably the school bathroom. You know what? I have heard there is, that is a trend trading from the bathroom. So you're not alone there. Now, um, you were investing for two years. That means you've seen quite a lot of action on the stock market. So I'm thinking back to March, 2020, and the stock market goes from peak to valley, minus 33%. Very scary. I had experienced investors sending me emails that were almost panicky uh, in how much fear they were expressing. William, what was it like for you back then with your investing? Oh, well, I kind of, I, I gotten lucky before the COVID crash because I'd been actually taking most of my investments out and cashing them out because I'm like, I was kind of scared because, you know, 
it was very kind of speculative at that point because I'd heard of COVID. I'm like, this thing's going to be big, right? And so I didn't, my losses were very minimal. Are you telling me you saw the crash coming and you got out of the market? That's like, most people didn't pull that off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just, it was just luck, right? I didn't know when the crash was going to happen or anything. I just kind of had a feeling. Okay, so the crash happens. The market is way down. It's in free fall. Tell me what you did next. I started pumping cash into my account and uh, started trying to kind of buy the dip with companies that I thought would, you know, survive. What's your investing goal? My goal is retirement. I do I do make a lot of spreadsheets on retirement, but my goal here is to just have, you know, an emergency kind of kickback fund or like some spare money to like throw at something I want. So you're 15 and you're talking about retirement. Uh, let's blue sky a bit. At what age do you think you might like to retire? 65. Oh, Okay. I thought you were going to tell me like 35 or something. Yeah, I'm not too interested in those like retire early things. I want to like make it, you know, long over time and retire with a a heap of money. William, one of the trends that I, as a personal finance columnist and investing writer, have been thinking a lot about in the past year is how the stock market has opened up to all kinds of new people who never used to really be investors. And now we have, thanks to new technology and the internet and, uh, and all kinds of other new technological developments. We have a 15-year-old getting into the market. Do you get a sense that the stock market's wide open to you and that it's totally accessible to young people such as yourself? Um, no, I don't I don't really get that sense because, you know, there's obviously the age factor, right? You have to be 18 to invest yourself. But I, I don't feel that we're getting enough education on the subject yet either. What would you like to see? I'd like to see finance taught from kindergarten. I think that'd be very important because, you know, in the system we live in, financial education is is vital to your future, right? What would be the number one lesson you'd like to teach those kindergarten kids about money? Just just basic savings, right? You know, don't spend all your money. Saving is, it's very important. What about your peers? Um, if you could give them one lesson, 15-year-olds are looking ahead to college and university in a few years. What's the best lesson you could give them about investing in money? Start young is the is the most important one for me. Starting... 18 versus like 30, there's a huge difference in the long run because of uh, compound interest, right? If you start at 18 and you're a, say you retire at 65, if you just put in like $200 a month into a mutual fund with about, uh, I think it's 9% returns, then over time you'll retire with six times more than if you start at the age of 35. So starting young would be my number one thing to teach them. All right, there you got a 15-year-old William explaining how to make money in the stock market. Rob, what are your two cents on William? William's going to conquer the world. This guy is a very all-around young man and included in his skills is being a smart, savvy investor. At 15, he's like got the same level of skills as a lot of 55-year-old uh, Global Mail readers I've come across. <laughs> I say, go, William. What about you? What do you make of him? My 13-year-old is marginally interested in saving and learning about mortgages and credit cards, but he sure is interested in learning about investing. So I suspect this is something that's going to become increasingly interesting to young adults, and I think William is paving the way forward. Something we talked a lot about when coming up with this episode was that investing for a long time has been dominated by men and wealthy people, but that's changing. It's estimated that by 2026, women will control half of the personal wealth in Canada. I spoke to a young woman who's been investing for a while to get her perspective on all this. That's up next. 
Eva is 29, lives in Toronto, and works in tech. She wrote to us about her experience investing during the pandemic. I asked her how she began investing. Let's talk a bit about how you first got involved in investing. How did you find your way into this world? Growing up uh, in a a single-parent household, um, in an immigrant family, we didn't ever – money was always just like you just squirrel it. You know, at, at best, and and my my dad, who who is our our parent, our single parent, he lost money in Nortel, and then was kind of like you know the stock market's the the, the worst thing on earth. Um, stay away from it type of thing. So a lot of like my own education around investing, um, and, and finance in general was kind of just self learned and self taught, just out of interest. Um, in my early twenties, and I didn't really get into executing on on the kind of automated ongoing investing until Wealth Simple in 2015. Uh, back then, they were a much much smaller team, and I I grew up in the in the startup tech scene, so that he came uh, and did a lunch and learn, gave us free food, and we're like, all right, we'll sit through your half an hour presentation for some free pizza. Okay, so tell me about your approach. You needed to obviously have some money to start investing. How did you set that up? Did you have a chunk set aside or did you start doing an automatic deposit? And um, how did you decide how to proceed? Yeah, so initially the first, I seeded it with $500. And and it was a small amount month over month. Um, so I wanted to do automated payments of, of $500 each month. And at the time that probably made up like on a monthly basis, like 15 to 20% of, of my income, probably, probably closer to 20. Okay. So $500 for a 22 year old is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Thanks. Just, just to be clear, that's, that is, that's, it is a sizable chunk of change. Um, I'm assuming that, uh, you probably had your finances in pretty good condition to be able to do that. Like you weren't paying off massive student loans or something along those lines. But uh, that's a that's a very um, impressive amount of money to be setting away at a young age. Thanks. Yeah, I did have student loans, but they weren't crazy. I was paying like $400 a month towards student loans each month. Okay, so you've decided to set aside the 500 a month at the beginning. How did you decide uh, how to proceed with investing? It was a matter of just like setting it and forgetting it. And then at each kind of inflection point in which my income increased, um, I tried to make, if not more so, like a larger ratio of my of my income going towards the the saving and investing. Okay. What um and you use a robo advisor for all of this money? Uh yes. So I, I would say I have a, a 90-10 approach. So 90% of of all of my kind of savings and investing goes towards um, the research-backed, you know, kind of kind of proven in academia sort sort of approach, which is low-cost, automated, uh, diversified portfolio through through a robot advisor, and the other ten percent is kind of you know fun money. Okay, what is the ten percent invested in? Uh, it's it's invested in a range of things. I mean, I uh, I bought Air Canada and sort of the the troughs of 2020. Um, that that's a that's an example. How often do you check your investments? That's a good question. Um, maybe like once a week. Okay. And what's the mechanism? Are you doing it on your phone or like how do you how do you look at it? Yeah, just on my phone. I have all all the apps sort of loaded into into my phone, so I'll, I'll usually go go from there. 
I'm curious where uh, someone who is starting off investing or someone who's even been doing it for a little bit of time, uh, where do you find this information? Do you go anywhere online? I think so. When I first started, there wasn't, I, I didn't think there was a ton of resources that were easy to consume and specifically written or created for the Canadian market. I think that's changed over the last number of years. Um, and I mean, I love uh, the Rational Reminder podcast um, and and what uh, Ben Felix and Cameron have, have been doing over there and producing Canadian-specific content that other people all over the world listen to and then have to interpret, you know, for their own lens, which I think is is incredible. Are you on any online chat groups or are you any, you know, there was a huge wave of young investors that got started uh on Reddit, uh, WhatsApp, like, are you are you getting any information through there? Yeah, I'm getting information through the Rational Reminder community. It's it's more of a Discord than it is Reddit. Um, I do have this this kind of smaller kind of startup tech Toronto uh, investor group that someone I knew kind of put together. I've mostly just done a lot of consuming. You're someone that has been investing since 2015, so you have seen. Uh, what a severe downturn looks like when stocks crashed back in March 2020. And it sounds like you were prepared. Did you have those that moment of panic when you first saw it and that sinking feeling in your stomach? Or were you ready for it? Yeah, I in investing and also just in life, I'm very um, risk taking, like go scuba diving, I jump out of planes, uh, all the rest. And and so my investing, yeah, is is that out of 10, it's a 10 out of 10 in terms of uh, uh, portfolio risk. And yeah, I mean, given given my personality, given my age, I, I think it was like that that matches. And I think there's what you believe uh, your risk tolerance is. And then I think there's what happens when, or what had happened like back in March of 2020, for the first time for a lot of people in my, my age group, there's one thing to say, Hey, I'm going to be ter- totally fine if my portfolio gets cut by thirty percent. And then there's what you actually do when your portfolio gets cut by thirty percent in March of 2020. Um, and it, in retrospect, it was the bottom of the market. Um, but I didn't know that obviously at the time. So I had a, a couple thousand dollars sort of just sitting on the side. I doubled down on on sort of my uh, contributions that month, um, which paid off really well. Uh, but yeah, my portfolio was cut by like thirty percent. Roughly, what's the purpose of this money? What, like, what? How long do you have it invested for, and what's your goal for it? That is a great question. Um, so, I'm I'm invested for uh, as a nest egg for retirement, but the the majority of it, I'm um, I'm a renter, a very proud renter. Um, I, in theory, could probably stretch my finances and, and buy you know a condo or whatever whatever it is, but based on Based on the numbers, based on um, I think my capacity and design to to save, and based on my lifestyle, to be quite frank, I used to travel six months of the year. I used to work. I've been working remotely for six years, so this isn't this isn't a new thing for me, uh, as it is I know for for a lot of people. So the the best version of a remote work that that I love is the one where you can be working from South Africa or be working from uh, from New Zealand in in a in a van or be working from home in Toronto, right? Um, this this version where we're all sort of locked inside is is unfortunately um, the version that everyone has seen, but it's it's also, there's there's many other versions of it. So it never made sense to me to own a place and, and have all the, the costs that are obviously related to maintaining 
maintaining a home. Mm -hmm. And being tied down to a mortgage. But I'm curious, what does your dad or your family, what do they think of this investing uh, choice that you've made? Yeah. So my dad um, uh, is a is an Asian immigrant, and there's two things that he'll he'll always ask me at the beginning of every time he sees me, which is, uh, "Are you getting married? And when are you going to buy a house?" He has, I think, a bunch of confusion around why I don't make certain choices. Like, why do I choose to rent when you know I could I could be putting that money towards a down payment? But I think there's a level of respect and hey, I don't get it, but it seems like you can take care of yourself. Okay, so since the pandemic started, there has been a wave of people that have gotten involved in investing um, as a woman of color, as an immigrant, all these things that would point to someone like you not being an investor in a traditional sense, not who we envision is in the market traditionally, but perhaps this is the type of person now that's getting into the market increasingly. Do you feel that some of the barriers to investing have fallen? Are you seeing more people jumping into the market? Yeah, I um, just said my own peer group, if I'm talking about sort of my core group of like six friends, all of us have sort of varying degrees of fluency as it relates to to investing. And and most most of us actually are, you know, people of color. Women in particular tend to, to feel like finances isn't their thing of the the people, the forums, the the WhatsApp groups, you know, all those kinds of things that I'm in, like 90% of those people are are men. And so I think um, for whatever reason, if it's social norms or <laughs> scripts or whatever that that has come to to those outcomes, I, I think it's just important for women to to understand that, like, hey, this is not this is not a male thing per se. Like this is a this is a human thing. This is a human thing that I think um, uh, you should spend as much time just getting comfortable in for your own finances because it's important. I think it yields, it's really important in terms of, in terms of how you choose to invest both like capital, your time, et cetera, and also like the possible outcomes that you could have as, as a person sort of, you know, in, into your future. Thanks so much for joining us, Eva. I think your comments were so valuable and I think they'll inspire a lot of young women to get into investing. The pleasure was mine, Roma. Thanks. Rob, Eva took a different approach using a robo-advisor as her main driver. She does do a little bit of investing on the side. What do you think of that approach? Big thumbs up. I'm a big fan of robo-advisors. I think they are a big problem solver for investors who want a low-cost, sound, well-executed investing approach with help from experts. Um, You give a robo-advisor money, they put it into your nicely diversified portfolio. I think they are a big solution to problems. I wish they were more popular, and I think they are good for young and old investors. So Eva describes herself as a, a risky person, but in my mind, she has done all of the right things before she started investing. You know, I I think we cannot overstress the importance of having an emergency fund before you start jumping into the stock market. You need to, and we've discussed this in stress tests, quite a few different instances, the importance of having money to fall back on if there's a sudden emergency. The pandemic is only one example. So have at least a few thousand dollars, preferably, you know, three, six, nine months worth of expenses parked safely in a savings account. Then go on to your investing because investing is not an emergency fund, a stock market crash can start peeling back your investment gains in a flash. You need safe money. Once that's covered off, then you move on to investing. 
We have one more person we're going to hear from. Stephen is 29 and he lives in Toronto. He's a freelance musician and he's been investing since he was 17. I started asking about how he reacted when the crash in March 2020 happened. What is it like investing during the pandemic? And I want you to start with the big crash of March 2020. Uh, yeah, it's it's been quite an adventure. So when in March, as I saw the the seriousness of of the pandemic really begin, uh, I saw uh, my own investments uh, start to tumble, and I had seen almost uh, a little over a decade's worth of saving, you know, go from pr- pretty modest gains to into uh, negative. Uh, numbers. Just knowing that things always seem to recover, no one had any idea of what that was going to be like. So on on the onset of it, it was uh, uh, to just see diligent saving, you know, pr- pretty boring stuff over over a decade start to disappear was uh, disheartening to say the least. Okay, so here you are. You're watching these long held investments starting to melt away on you. But then you took action. Tell us what you did. I just took as much uh, cash as I had on hand. And as I saw the market crashing and crashing, crashing, I just kept uh, treating it like it was a once in a lifetime uh, dip buying opportunity. And I put uh, as much cash as I could into the, I guess, the safest investments I, I, I thought I had in my portfolio. One of my theories is that the pandemic has sort of democratized investing. It sort of opened it up to people who might not have done it before, and they've had a lot of success. Now, you've been an investor for a long time, but do you find yourself and friends of yours getting more interested in investing, sort of seeing the upside of it because of the pandemic, because of the stock market gains, because you've been at home and it's easy to trade, because there's all kinds of new uh, technology for trading, trading apps and all that sort of thing? Has this sort of been a trading heyday for you? So for me personally, this is in the past year and a half, this is the most I've ever traded pre-pandemic. It was maybe four to eight trades a year. And in the past year, yeah, a lot more activity and uh, a lot more monitoring. And I also noticed, uh, yeah, some some people that were my age around me either getting into it and also in in ways that I never entertained. It was almost like too polished and flashy looking. I, I want my my banking to be pretty boring and uh, reliable looking. Give us a sense of the kind of gains you had in your portfolio uh, during the pandemic compared to your pre-pandemic days. What? Give us some juicy details. <laughs> so, so in terms of in terms of percentage, we're talking like maybe like 15, 20 percent uh, increase and then to fall to a 15 to 20 percent uh, negative number. And now sitting up at, you know, uh, 35-ish percent uh, in gains. Um, Stephen, what what are your thoughts on the inevitable stock market downturn? I mean, one of the criticisms that's made of young investors today is that they're running around acting like they're stock market geniuses because everything they do is going up. But of course, everything is going up. There's a bull market in everything right now. You have a longer-term perspective. What is your sense of... of, uh, of the next downturn, when it might come and what you're doing to prepare for it. You're right. Everything is, has been going up and I don't think, uh, there's, there's too much unique about my, my scenario. What I'm hearing more and more about, and I think what we're all concerned about is what's going to happen with, uh, as, as we, 
exit the pandemic and then uh, worries about inflation. And so I'm preparing for that, uh, looking at, you know, bond ETFs, things like that. Some of the things that are are as as secure as possible. What are your investing goals? I mean, a lot of people say, I'm investing for retirement. I'm investing for my kids' uh, education. I'm investing for, you know, uh, some some other big life goal. Um, you're uh, you're a young man. You've got a long long life ahead. Is it retirement that you're you're, you're investing this money for, or or, or something uh, more near term? So one of the main reasons I got into investing so early was because I knew I wanted to be a freelance musician, and uh, knowing that, I also knew that there would be no uh, company pension plan. Uh, so who is going to save for my retirement? Oh, it's going to be it's going to be me. Uh, so the uh, the goal was always to have uh, a self-supplied uh, retirement plan in place and also having some kind of emergency fund. So the the long term has always been retirement. Uh, it would be wonderful if I had enough saved for a down payment on a house. But uh, in in the past month or so, I've, I've come come to terms with uh, with maybe just renting forever. Stephen, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So Rob, what are your takeaways for this episode? One, start investing as soon as you can. Get on a regular program where you make contributions to your investments every time you get paid and do that for decades. Two, start small with a robo-advisor if you're worried about your money. Robo-advisors for a very reasonable cost provide solid help for new and established investors. Three, Use trusted sources of information if you're going to do it yourself. Internet forums are one thing, but you want to cross-check two, three, four times with other sources of information. Thank you for listening to Stress Test. This show was produced by Latifa Abdin and Hannah Sung. Audio post-production by Kyle Fulton and Carly Reem neal Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. Thank you, William, Eva, and Stephen, for sharing your stories with us. If you like what you heard, let the world know. Leave us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. You can find Stress Test at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And you can find us at theglobeandmail.com, where we cover all things financial. And if you want a season four, let us know. Rob and I might even be able to do some talking face-to-face. Thanks for listening. Stress Test is brought to you by CPP Investments, manager of the Canada Pension Plan Fund. Canadians can be confident in the fund's sustainability. In the last 10 years, CPP Investments has earned more than $300 billion for the Canada Pension Plan. With over $500 billion invested around the world, CPP is set to provide a retirement income foundation for generations to come. Learn more at cppinvestments.com.